0: Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. My favorite plant to grow in my yard is the fruit tree because you plant it once and you get fruit for decades. If you have ever been curious on the best ways to be successful in growing fruit trees, today is your lucky day. Why? Because my team and I have compiled our best interviews and videos in one place to assist you in growing your own toe-tingling peaches and awesome apples right out your front or back door. Plus, as an added bonus, we've included an in-depth guide to successfully growing fruit trees in your yard. To get access to this information, It's free, by the way. Just go to urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. That's urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444.
1: You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson.
0: Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Dr. Jim Loomis to talk about his experience with lifestyle medicine. Jim Loomis Jr., M.D. and M.B.A., received his medical degree from the University of Arkansas, where he was elected to the Alpha Omega Alpha Honors Medical Society and graduated with honors. He subsequently completed his internship and residency in internal medicine at Barnes Hospital, Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, and received an M.B.A. from the Olin School of Business at Washington University. Jim is the medical director at the Bernard Medical Center in Washington, DC. He is board certified in internal medicine and has also completed the certification program in plant-based nutrition from Cornell University. Before coming to the Bernard Medical Center in Washington, DC, Jim practiced internal medicine and was the director of prevention and wellness at St. Luke's Medical Hospital in St. Louis. Jim is on the clinical faculty of the Department of Internal Medicine at Washington University of Medicine, and also serves on the board of directors of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. When not practicing medicine, Jim enjoys reading history books, cooking, and teaching plant-based cooking classes. He also enjoys running, biking, and swimming, and has completed numerous half marathons, marathons, and triathlons. Welcome to the show today, Jim. Thank you. So, I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now?
2: Well, up until about five years ago, I was a practicing internist in St. Louis, Missouri, mm-hmm. and, and I practiced medicine pretty much like I was taught in medical school. Patients would come to me with high blood pressure, and and I would talk a little bit about healthy diet, but not in really an actionable way in, in retrospect. And ultimately I would prescribe a medication and, you know, they would come back and their blood pressure was great, and, but now their cholesterol is high. So we'd have this same kind of superficial conversation about nutrition and, uh-huh. and I would put them on another pill. And that's kind of the lifestyle I led myself. Wow. Um, I ate, you know, a standard American diet based on, you know, what I thought was healthy at the time, low fat dairy and lean meat and trying to get plenty of fruits and games, all in moderation. Of course, right. but you know, I certainly was not adverse to cake and ice cream at a birthday party or a plate of ribs at a at a barbecue. And I, you know, personally, I found I could get away with it as long as I maintained um, an exercise program. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, for well, first of all, kind of as I got busy in my practice and you know had kids, it became more and more difficult to engage in in adequate exercise. And then I tore the meniscus in my knee playing with my dog, and. Being the typical doctor slash patient, I waited about three months to get it fixed. <laughs> so my leg got weak. And mm-hmm. then after surgery, I didn't do the exercises, the rehab like I was supposed to. So, you know, I started to put on a lot of weight. And the next thing I knew, I had become a patient. Mm. and and I started to collect doctors. So first I had sleep apnea, which is a condition where you stop breathing at night related to being overweight. And I went and saw the sleep doctor and he didn't talk to me about my diet or exercise. He just talked to me about the the diagnosis and how to treat it. And he gave me a CPAP machine to wear at night, which is a a machine you wear that keeps the airway open to keep the breathing stable. And next thing I know, I started to have an irregular heart rate. In retrospect, again, it was related to the sleep apnea. So I had a cardiologist and he gave me Mm. some pills. And then I went to see my internist for a physical and lo and behold, I had a borderline blood pressure reading and I had a borderline blood sugar, kind of a pre-diabetic state and my cholesterol was high. and, And so he treated me just like I treated my patients. He wrote me out a prescription. And so this is now about July of 2011. I knew I needed to change, I knew something wasn't right. And I really, really, really didn't want to take those pills for the cholesterol because even though I gave them to my patients, you know, I knew what the side effects were. And, and I, and I, you know, I just deep inside didn't want to do it. And about a week later, still had the prescription in my wallet. I'm laying on the couch, flipping through Netflix and and I come across a documentary called Forks Over Knives. Mm. And it was about using food as medicine. And you know, I knew what a vegan was at the time, but, and I right. really wasn't interested in that. But the idea of using food as medicine somehow just resonated with me very deeply. So I came back to the office. I was on the faculty at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. And I downloaded some of the original research and thought, you know, it it just can't be this easy. So so really, you know, really overnight, I, I made a commitment to go on a whole food plant-based diet. And by the way, the difference between veganism and, and what I'm talking about. So being a vegan really comes from an ethical place and it's about not eating animal products. Right. It's about right. not wearing clothes or, or, or shoes or belts made out of leather. leather. Yep. It's about not using products tested on animals. But there are a lot of very unhealthy vegan foods. For example, Dr. Pepper is vegan, and Oreo (laughs) cookies are vegan, and, you know, there's a lot of great vegan donuts and Uh sugar and flour. So a whole food plant-based diet is really about eating foods that are, you know, there's no animal products, just Mm -hmm. like on a vegan diet, but it also eliminates all the highly processed foods. So I decided literally overnight to give this a try for three months and see what happened, and at the same time, finally go back and do my knee exercises. And at the end of three months, you know, I asked myself three questions. You know, how hard was it? How did I feel physically and and mentally? And at the end, what did it do to my biometrics? So what happened to my blood pressure, and my weight, and my my sugar readings, et cetera? Well, at the end of three months, without really any significant change in my exercise, other than just some knee strengthening, it was like a miracle. I mean, I lost 30-something pounds. My cholesterol went from 260 to 150. Whoa. My apnea went away. My irregular heart rate went away. My allergies went away, which I really wasn't expecting. And by, by January of 2012, I had, was able to start exercising again. And by the end of that year, I had run three half marathons lost another 20 pounds and moving forward, I I ended up done a couple of marathons, a half Ironman triathlon, Uh um, ended up losing about 50, 60 pounds total. Uh And what I fundamentally realized as I went through that process that, you know, I thought I was a smart guy. Uh I graduated with honors from med school. I trained at Washington University in St. Louis, which is a very highly respected training program for internal medicine. And, you know, I thought I had been this great healthcare provider. But I realized I wasn't. What I had been doing for those 25 years or so I'd been in practice was not practicing healthcare, it was practicing sick care. Mm, right. And the fundamental difference is when we practice sick care, we can, we can add years to your life, but we take away oftentimes life out of those years. We wait oh, for you to right. get a problem before we give you drugs. We give you drugs that have side effects and are expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, we wait for you to have a heart problem, then we you know, put a stent in or bypass surgery. We wait for you to get cancer, and then we give you chemo. We allow you to accumulate disability through obesity and arthritis. You know, and Ultimately, at the end, we wait for you to get Alzheimer's disease, and we just stick in a nursing home. And that the way wow. to truly practice health care, true uh-huh. health care, where we add years to your life, but also sustain life in those years Mm -hmm. is is through lifestyle. And primarily it's the food you put in your mouth, but also how much physical activity you perform and then, and then how emotionally healthy you are. And that has to do with stress and coping with stress Mm -hmm. and recovering from stress through sleep. And so, you know, kind of once you know that you can't unknow it. And, and it fundamentally <laughs> changed. Yeah, I mean, it fundamentally changed the, my whole approach to my own personal life and lifestyle, but also to the way I practice medicine. R- really transitioning from this kind of sick care provider mm-hmm. to a true health care provider, mm. really practicing lifestyle medicine.
0: Wow. So. You and I met at a conference here about three or four months ago. And during that conference, you and I, we had an opportunity to chat during the day. And I shared with you that I've been experiencing Lyme disease. And you suggested going on a plant-based diet. And for me, a plant-based diet is, you know, this whole notion of being a vegan. And I never have really understood why being a vegan or eating a plant-based diet was important from a physiological perspective. And so we had an opportunity. We went on a hike or walk and we walked what two miles and during right. that two miles you shared with me the physiology behind it and so since then it's been like 74 days i've pretty much been a vegan well,
1: so i'm i'm doing
0: thank you i'm doing the experiment as well so can you explain to our listeners the physiology behind plant-based diets
2: sure and this really applies to, to the, the whole idea of why lifestyle is important in mm-hmm. general. And, and I think that, you know, if, when, when I try to understand a concept that doesn't make sense or I'm trying to search for answers, you know, I, I eventually will look at it through the lens of evolution.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Because I would argue mm, that, right. that all of our behaviors and all of our physiology re- really evolved to, to accomplish one thing. And this is true for any biologic system, really. And that's to stay, stay around long enough to find a mate and pass on your DNA. Yeah. And so the two main tasks that we had to accomplish up until the very recent past, and when I say recent I'm talking, you know, five, ten thousand years. <laughs> right. Seems like a long time, but yeah. in fact it is is the recent past. Mm-hmm. The two tasks we had to perform were we had to be able to go find food when we were starving. That was a stressful event. It required us to be physically active and assuming we survived, that's when we rest, recovered, and refueled.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: we had to try not to be someone else's food when they were starving. And that was a stressful. Oh. And that <laughs> right. required physical activity. Yep. And and assuming we got away from the leopard, that's when we rest, recovered, and refueled. And that cycle of stress activity recovery over time is how we built resilience to things Mm -hmm. you know that's how we got stronger and faster and smarter and i know you you're a runner and 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 and, you know that's how you train for a marathon or a half marathon right it's this kind of progressive overload you rest recover and refuel rest Mm -hmm. recover and refuel and each time you do that you're able to accomplish a little bit more a little bit more exactly. now you fast forward you know that ten thousand years and think about in modern society we don't do any of that anymore right how much energy do you have to spend in -hmm. a given day to get more energy Zero. Zero, yeah. How much energy do you take to pick up the phone and call Domino's or or drive your (laughs) car to (laughs) McDonald's or push your cart down the aisle at the supermarket or give your order to the waiter? Yeah. The kinds of food we refuel ourselves, the energy that we consume, there's no resemblance to what we're really designed to eat. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But, you know, we're not designed to eat all this processed stuff. And, And again, I'll go into a little more depth in a second, but we don't face stress or threat physically anymore. You know, we run and fight emotionally, mm-hmm. um, right. and we worry about a lot of other things other than finding food and getting eaten by a leopard. We worry about politics and religion and, and terrorism and you know jobs and money and relationships, but we've decoupled that from the physical response that we're designed to, to have, to stress, and we compound that by not recovering adequately. We, we don't get enough sleep. We over-caffeinate. We over-alcohol, and so over time, we don't develop resilience. We develop exhaustion. And I would argue it's you know, physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion, hormonal exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that that disconnection from the lifestyle we evolved to lead and the lifestyle that we lead today is, is fundamentally the root cause of 90% of the chronic problems that walk into my office as a practicing internist. Yeah. So, you know, and I think most people understand they need to move around and get exercise and doing that on a regular basis is difficult, but I, I think people understand that it's important. And I think people understand that they need to de-stress and get more sleep and don't drink too much and, and on and on. But, again, it's sometimes hard to do. Yeah. But they're connected, right? Yeah. So how are we designed to deal with stress? Well, through exercise. So, you know, just like your brain can't tell if you're worried about the outcome of the election, right. your brain can't tell the difference between that and a leopard jumping out from behind a tree. Mm-hmm. But it also can't tell the difference if you go for a five-mile run or a brisk walk or, you know, go to the gym, that you're not running away from the leopard right? So there's a connectedness between how we deal with stress and the amount of physical activity we get. However, I think the black hole for most people still is is nutrition. There is so much information, conflicting information, bad information, misinformation about nutrition, that that it creates a lot of confusion. And, And, you know, so people kind of try the diet du jour and They're not successful over the long run, so they just throw up their hands and go back to whatever their habits are, whatever they've learned to to like over time. And again, so how do you, you know, what is the optimum diet for human health? Well, again, if we step back again and look at it through the lens of evolution, Mm -hmm. I think we can find the answer pretty easily. You know, first, I think the greatest misnomer in anthropologic history was calling our ancestors hunter-gatherers because we were not hunter-gatherers. We were gatherer hunters. Mm -hmm. Our ancestors in temperate climates got. It's estimated probably 75 to 80% of their calories from the food that they gathered. It was Plants. much easier to gather food than it was to hunt food. Yeah. But what did our ancestors gather? Right? They gathered whole food, plant-based sources of, of energy. Course. Roots and stems and leaves and seeds berries. and fruits and nuts yeah. and vegetables and berries. Exactly, right? There was no canola oil tree <laughs> or, or sugar tree or white flower tree or artificial sweetener tree. Right. You know, We are not designed to eat that stuff. I would argue we weren't designed to use dairy products, except for when we were infants and small children, mm-hmm. and the dairy product we were designed to use was our own mother's milk. Uh, you know, we did not have access to dairy until the fairly recent past. We had to domesticate mammals first, that didn't occur until about six to eight thousand years ago, and and so we didn't have access to dairy products until the very very recent past. Right. And, and there's a lot, of, there's some more biology behind that which I won't go into, but I think that we are you know, fundamentally we're not designed to use dairy products. Now we did eat meat. It wasn't a lot. Yep. And it came from animals that ate what animals are supposed to eat, not cows and pigs and chicken stuff full of corn and antibiotics and God knows what else. Right. However, our ancestors probably had a survival advantage to having that concentrated animal protein to get big and strong so they could go find food and get away from the leopard and pass on their DNA before they died of some infectious disease when they were thirty years old. Mm-hmm. And over the last about 1,500 years, we've doubled, tripled our lifespan, mainly through advances in sanitation and and the addition of antibiotics. Right. So we live long enough now to unmask many of these chronic degenerative diseases our ancestors never had to worry about. Mm. Cancer, heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, etc. And it's clear that almost all of those diseases have been linked to the overconsumption of both animal protein and processed food. And then when you start to think about some of the environmental implications, environmental toxins that we expose ourselves to, the pesticide residue and herbicide residue and antibiotic residue and antibiotic resistant bacteria and heavy right. metals and fish, we, we talk about the contribution of animal husbandry to climate change and overfishing the oceans and water use and land use and sustainability, you know, those are all very strong arguments to me that we should really be thinking about eliminating our, you know, animal consumption. Yeah. And the the idea, well, you know, well, where do you get, where are you going to get your protein is is a complete fallacy. I mean, let me ask you a question. When you, if you turn on national geographic and Uh there's a a special on elephants, right? The first thing that comes to your mind, where do they get their protein?
0: No, not at all. Oh,
2: right. Or you see a special on mountain gorillas, right? Of course not. And in fact, that big juicy steak you're consuming to get your protein, you know, that came from a vegan cow, right? Right. So chickens, except for a few bugs, are vegan. Feral pigs are 90% vegan. So the idea that we need to eat meat to be healthy is a complete fallacy. And I think that line of reasoning to me is very compelling as to why a whole food plant-based diet is the optimum diet. Mm-hmm. and that And that lifestyle... The connection between exercise, nutrition, and emotional health is mm-hmm. is incredibly important. And the linkage again, we don't think about this, right? We've separated. We we think of these as separate things. But you know, to be well, we have to be well in in all three of those domains. We we have to have physical wellness. We achieve that through physical activity, which means we need to move around thirty forty five minutes every day, maybe a couple of days a week. Replicate picking stuff up and moving it out of the way. Light weight lifting. We need to have nutritional wellness, which means you gotta eat what you're supposed to eat and not eat what you're not supposed to eat. Yeah. And we have to have emotional wellness, and that's about stress coping with stress and, and sleep again. But they're connected. So think about the connection between food and exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, think about your car. You don't park your car in the garage for six months and put gas in five times a day, right? Right. And even if you're driving your car every now and then, you know, if you pull up to the gas station and your gas tank holds 15 gallons you don't put in 30 gallons and you certainly don't put water down gas or bad gas in your car and expect it to run right right you're taking your car to the mechanic and paying him a lot of money to fix your car (laughs) and every time he tells you well you know you're putting the bad gas in your car i mean you'd stop doing that i would i would suspect and if you're and if your mechanic says well you know if you just put less bad gas in your car you could bring it back in six months instead of three months you probably get a new mechanic but that's not how we yeah, think exactly. about food, exactly. right? That's just not yeah. how we think about food. So, so I think that, that that's why, I mean, that, that linkage is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Same thing with stress and exercise. You know, if you're not emotionally well, you are not going to eat right, and you're not going to find time to exercise.
0: Oh, right. But, exactly.
2: But if you don't exercise, you can't be emotionally well because now you've disconnected the stress response from, from the physical response. So right. there's this linkage. But, you know, for a lot of people, you know, this is very, a very difficult thing even if when they get it, it's it's really hard sometimes to, to, to really try to incorporate that and change their their lifestyle.
0: Can you can you share with me? Because one of the fascinating things for me uh, in our conversation as we were walking down the hill uh, here three months ago was the the physiological impact that animal products have on our body.
2: Right. Well, so Just, it's it's interesting. There's several very important ideas to to think about so one is the concept of nutrient density you know when we process foods we concentrate the calories and we dilute the nutrition right so you take an apple and you turn it into apple juice so you take a beet and you turn it into sugar you take a true whole grain turn it into flour or you take an olive and turn it to olive oil so we, we tout olive oil as being healthy right right but think about it so so think of your calories as money So say you've got 2,400 calories or dollars to invest today, and you decide to invest 100 calories in the moment, and you can spend it however you want. Most of it, we want to get the highest return on investment. We could. So you decide you're going to invest it in olive oil. Well, first of all, 100 calories of olive oil is is a tablespoon. So think about how much space that takes up in your stomach. You know, Mm, not very much.
0: Not very much at all. And what's
2: your nutritional return on investment? How much fiber is in 100 calories of olive oil? Zero. Right. How much protein? Zero. How much vitamin C and vitamin E and magnesium and zinc and cancer-fighting antioxidants and phytonutrients? Zero, right? Right. It's just fat. Now, if you switch that to, to a whole food plant-based source of food, say an avocado, mm. well, not only you're getting healthy fats, but what else do you get? You get vitamin C, you get protein, you get fiber, et cetera. So animals, it turns out, do that for us, right? So animals take the grass, they eat the plants. They concentrate the calories. They use all the good stuff to run their own machinery. And what are we left with? We're left with protein and fat. So 100 calories of chicken breast, you know, is about an ounce. So again, think about how much space that takes up in your stomach. Not much. What's your nutrition? Yeah. What's your nutritional return on investment? How much fiber is in that 100 calories of chicken breast? Zero. Zero. Yeah. How much? cancer-fighting phytonutrients and antioxidants and magnesium and potassium, all of these things we need to sustain good health. Well, there's none. And compare that to broccoli, say? 100 calories of broccoli has twice as much protein as 100 calories of chicken breast, believe it or not. Oh, interesting. Now, the, the difference is 100 calories of chicken breast is, is an ounce, 100 calories of broccoli is 12 and a half ounces so that is a lot of broccoli oh yeah <laughs> but but that's really the whole point right mm-hmm. so when you eat a whole food plant-based diet it is so uh calo- nutritionally dense that y- you're full you know imagine e- turning on the tv and and or watching a movie and open up a bag of doritos how easy would it be to eat a thousand calories of doritos you know i would challenge anyone to eat a thousand calories of blueberries it'd take a week <laughs> yeah there's Exactly, because you're full. So it is almost physiologically impossible to have diabetes, to be overweight, to have high cholesterol, to have high blood pressure when you eat a whole food plant-based diet. So, so that's the one thing. So, that, so it's not so much the consequences of eating too much animal protein. Right. It's this huge health benefit of eating a whole food plant-based diet. There are, however, other... Consequences that are directly related, especially to the overconsumption of protein. Uh-huh. The overconsumption of protein can contribute to cancer, that's clearly been shown, diabetes, clearly been shown, things like kidney disease. Protein, you know, we can store extra fat and we can store extra carbohydrate, which gets converted to fat, but we can't store extra protein. So it gets broken down and then initially eliminated as nitrogen, and that can put a tremendous strain on your kidneys. Milk products, for example, can train high levels of igf one insulin like growth factor because remember you know milk is designed to turn a baby cow into a big cow right. or a baby whale into a big whale, so it 's chock full of all these growth hormones and such, and so all of which have been associated with with both diabetes and cancer. The other problem has to do, and I think probably this is one of the most important concepts that people don't think about or don't know about. Right. And it has to do with the role of diet and inflammation. Yes. Um, So the standard American diet, which is based on, you know, a healthy standard, you know, so-called healthy standard American diet, which Uh is based on whole grains, low fat dairy, you know, olive oil, lean meat is is still incredibly inflammatory. And and the inflammation in our bodies is driven mainly by the ratio of the omega-6 fatty acids to the omega-3 fatty acids. And Omega-6 fatty acids play an important role in our health, and we need to consume some. Downstream, those are converted to compounds through a pathway through arachidonic acid, which create mainly inflammation in our bodies. And Mm -hmm. we have to have some inflammation. We need to be able to fight off infections and heal wounds and and et cetera. The omega-3 pathways through mainly alpha-linoic acid create compounds that are anti-inflammatory. And it's felt that our ancestors, through their diet, had a ratio of about one to one, two to one, omega six to omega three uh, to omega six. The standard American diet, on the healthy end, is ten to one. On the unhealthy end, you're going to McDonald's twice a week. Uh-huh. It can be fifty to one.
0: Oh my God! So we create
2: this tremendous inflammation in our bodies. So I remember the first time I went to a, a plant-based healthcare, a nutrition, healthcare conference. Uh-huh. And there were speakers talking about Alzheimer's disease and cancer and multiple sclerosis and diabetes and heart disease. And what struck me at one point in every talk, they all put up the same slide. <laughs> and it was the slide about inflammation. Wow! And, and I realized that, the, you know, that is the tie that binds. That, that, this, this, the anti-inflammatory effect of a plant-based diet combined with the, the incredible number of antioxidants we, we consume is uh is is incredibly important in preventing all of these chronic diseases
3: mm-hmm.
2: and what's interesting you know I, as i mentioned earlier you know i i went from not being a walk around the block without being out of breath to, to do i'm training for a marathon right now in fact
0: congratulations and, and
2: what's astounding is is it at age 57 you know my recovery times from these long runs i do uh-huh. is, is it's it's like it's it's like a miracle i mean I, you know, I ran eight nine miles on sunday like nothing and and I'm convinced the reason is you know we burn oxygen for fuel right. and when we burn oxygen it creates some compounds that are they're called oxygen free radicals and we, and we have a, and they, they, low levels of those actually play an important role in cell signaling and, and metabolism. But if you get too many oxygen free radicals, mm-hmm. they can cause, um, it creates what's called oxidative stress. Oh, right. Which not only creates, yep. which would not only contributes to chronic disease, but it also contributes to some of the, the, the you know, muscle soreness and stiffness and such you get right. after a prolonged period of exercise. And our bodies have it kind of an innate, antioxidant capacity to neutralize some of that but that gets easily exceeded when we you know when we perform especially long distance endurance yeah yeah, endurance exercise and the standard american diet is so bereft of of anti antioxidants that that we cannot quell that fire if you will Mm-hmm. So imagine, you know, you've got this low-grade fire burning, and then you go for a long run where well, you're just putting gasoline on the fire. And so what oh, happens right. the next day? You wake up, and you're stiff, and you're sore. But imagine, you know, when we eat this nutrient-dense plant-based diet with all these colored, you know, blue and yellow and green and red and purple and mm-hmm. on our plates every single day, you know, when we go for one of these long runs, we're able to put water on that fire. Right. So So my recovery times, my ability to perform – High-level exercise on a regular basis—it's like it's almost unbelievable. Easy, and you know, and so that's the other big benefit I see.
0: You know, I've I've noticed I've noticed that I didn't. So I I don't run, but I race walk and I do a little bit of running, and I did an eight miler here, two Sundays ago, and yeah. on Monday it was like I wasn't sore at all.
2: Right, right. So I mean, it's just astounding.
0: Uh, yeah, it, and this makes sense now. Wow.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now the other the other thing that uh, that I'll touch on briefly because mm-hmm. we could have a whole <laughs> you know talk just about this that we're just now starting to understand is the role that the bacteria in our gut play in our oh, health and the, and the influence yeah. that diet has on that you know if you think about your body as a house I like to use these uh-huh. visuals to help myself and then my patients understand the concept. So think of your body as a house, and, and each room in the house is, a, is an organ system. Uh-huh. So you have a brain room, and you have a heart room, and you have a skin room, and you have a respiratory room, and you have a joint room. And, and when we eat this highly inflammatory diet, we fill that house up with people that are very angry, mm-hmm. right? We got bricks and sticks and bats. And when strangers wander into the room, it's, it's not a good outcome right? And depending on the nature of the stranger and what particular room they come in, that's what triggers the clinical condition. So they might wander into the skin room and you might end up with psoriasis or eczema. Hmm. They might run into the joint room and you end up with degenerative or or rheumatoid arthritis. They might enter into the the respiratory room and you might end up with allergies or asthma. The brain room, you might end up with Alzheimer's disease or multiple sclerosis. Well, where do these strangers come from? Well, it turns out that most of them are coming in through our gut. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we think of our gut as being inside us, but in fact, it's not, if you really think about it. Our, our gut's really a hollow tube that goes from point A to point B, and its right. job is to take whatever comes in point A, let in the good stuff, keep out the bad stuff, and eliminate it out point B. And and most of that transaction, if you will, inc- occurs in our s- small intestine. Uh-huh. And And we've always thought about the bacteria that lived in our gut as kind of being along for the ride. And, and, you know, you went to Mexico and got some different bacteria. You got diarrhea for a few days, and Mm -hmm. and, and then it would get better. But it turns out our gut, the, the bacteria that live in our gut play a very, very important role in maintaining our gut health, in maintaining kind of acting as gatekeepers to what gets in and what stays out. And that because, we you know, we eat, you know, we eat, Along with the food, we we consume a lot of things that that we're not supposed to let in. We consume viruses and bacteria and and yeast and environmental toxins and, you know, protein antigens like like gluten and and milk proteins that that in general aren't supposed to end up in our bloodstream. Right. It also turns out that makeup of your gut bacteria is highly dependent both on how many, you know, long-term use of things like antibiotics, Uh but probably more importantly is... What kind of food you eat, mm. and the people that eat a, a standard American diet, which is high in processed, processed grains, processed sugar, high, you know, high fat, have a different bacterial makeup in their gut than people who eat a whole food, plant based diet. The profile of the bacteria in the people who eat a standard American diet has been shown to increase the amount of inflammation and make the gut leaky if you will so Mm, it it opens the front door exactly exactly so so what happens when you go on a plant-based diet well two things so in this the first thing that happens pretty quickly is you lower that omega-6 omega-3 ratio back down toward the one-to-one two-to-one it's supposed to be so now you've kicked all the angry people out of the house (laughs) right and you replaced them with people drinking tea and you know listening to mozart right Uh and about six to 12 weeks later what happens you repopulate your gut oh. with these healthy gut bacteria and allow right. your gut to heal. And so you shut the front door. Now, you're still going to have strangers wander in every now mm-hmm. and then. But now, the way they're dealt with inside the house is much, much different. I've had this, uh, these amazing clinical experiences where people came in. I had a lady uh, not too long ago who came in with horrible psoriasis that she had uh-huh. had for 20 years. She was, played tennis. And she was in her seventies, played tennis, uh, but had to wear long pants because she was embarrassed, had a boyfriend, but found it difficult to be intimate because she had oh. rashes everywhere. Yep. And within six weeks of going on a plant-based diet and, and going through, by the way, our practice, everyone who comes in gets access to a free 12 week class to teach them about oh, nice. the importance of a plant-based diet yeah. as well as kind of the, the mechanics of change within six weeks for the first time in 20 years her psoriasis had disappeared and so it's such a powerful I mean the idea that food is medicine is such a powerful yeah you know idea and and it's just too bad that neither the medical community nor most patients you know we 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 segregate the two we have a food Mm -hmm. a silo for food and a silo for health and we don't think about the way they interact
0: yeah wow Wow. So healthy gut bacteria and reduced implementation comes from eating a plant-based diet.
2: Exactly. Wow. That is exactly right. Wow.
0: So I, I'm now pretty clear, and actually I'm now much clearer since our conversation three months ago, that a plant-based diet is really impactful. And what I know for myself is that People change for two reasons. They either change because they choose to change, which I say is about 1% of the time. And right. people change because they have to change. I call it the Mack truck effect. They get hit by a Mack truck. And that right. happens 99% of the time. So really, this whole, this whole notion of transitioning from a, from a non-plant-based diet to a plant-based diet is really choosing to change. And that can be hard. So how do you coach people through doing that?
2: It's, it's interesting. I've thought and and read a lot about it. You know, I, I had never thought about this before. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'd give this advice, you need to lose weight, you need to eat healthier without really thinking about what that really meant. And I, I never even, you know, it occurred to me that the way we make choices is obviously so, so obvious I never even thought about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it plays an important role in the things we choose, right? And I had no idea how people made choices. So mm-hmm. as I started to kind of... Read through that literature it's it 's really a that 's a whole again we could have a whole podcast on on just behavior change, but right what i 've come away with through my own personal experience and experience with patients and and some of the literature i 've read you know the process of change is like pushing a snowball over the top of a mountain right right yeah if you can get it to the top and over the other side, you don 't have to push anymore. you feel better, you have more energy you don 't have to take these drugs you, you you like the way you look in a mirror you're able to do things you haven't been able to do in 20 years keep up with your kids or your grandkids or or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. but the problem is is getting the snowball to the top and some people's Mm -hmm. mountains are really steep and really tall and Mm -hmm. their their balls are the snowball is really heavy and so there's really three things that have to happen to get to the other side and and the first thing and again i think it's something we don't think about and i think we have approached really not in a in a helpful way uh, traditionally is helping patients find a reason to push before they get hit by the Mack truck, right. right? Exactly. And 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 oftentimes, you know, we as physicians and clinicians, we operate out of a paradigm of fear, right? We say, you need to quit smoking or you're going to get lung cancer. You need to get your blood sugar down or we're going to have to amputate your foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to get your cholesterol down or you're going to have a heart attack or a stroke. Well, I don't know if I've never met a patient who didn't already know that those were potential outcomes from the behaviors that they had, right? right? Yeah, of course. But, but they continued to have them. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. So so one is, you know, the event horizon. We're talking about stuff that might happen 10 or 15 years from now. We know it's important to quit. But, you know, January 1st, I'm going to join the gym. And then that lasts for about a month. And so, you know, it never really happens, Right. right? I have come to take a different approach. So what I end up doing is, is I say, here, I'm going to ask you, We're gonna, I have a, a, a homework for you. Uh-huh. And I give them five or six pieces of paper and I label them. So colon cancer heart disease, you know, heart attacks, stroke, Alzheimer's disease, you know, whatever it might be. And I, and I tell the patient, what I want you to do is I want you to go home and I want you to think about the top 10 reasons you don't want these things to happen to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening, they bring the papers back. The lists are, it's one list. <laughs> right? Because the reasons people don't want it to happen, I want to be around for my kids. I want to be around yeah. for my grandkids. I want to take my wife on a cruise for our 50th wedding anniversary. I want to play the top 100 golf course in the world when I retire. Yeah. I want to, you know, want to retire and go teach in the inner city or whatever it might be, right? So that's the reason. It's purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So it's finding purpose. And that is by far the most important, essential first step, because if you don't have a sense of purpose,
3: Hmm. you're
2: never going to get the snowball to the top. So that's the first thing I do is I I help patients find a purpose, find a reason to change that's meaningful. And because if you don't have that, it's going to be very difficult because for the first time the snowball starts to roll back, (laughs) you're just going to let it go back down to the bottom of the hill, right? Yeah, exactly. The second thing is, is trying to, to lower the size and the slope of the mountain. Right? And what those really represent are the barriers you have to change. And so some of those might be knowledge based barriers. I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to. I'm talking about plant based nutrition specifically here. I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to shop. I don't know how to read labels. You know, I don't know how to order at restaurants. Uh Some of them are emotional, not getting along with my husband. And so I eat ice cream at night or I hate my job or you know, things like that. So whatever those barriers are. So helping patients understand, discover and understand what those barriers are. And we've developed some toolkits, if you will, in the practice that that we can kind of help people overcome whatever those barriers are. So that's really about lowering the the size and the slope of the the,
0: the amount of the problem. Yeah.
2: The third thing, which is, is also incredibly important, and again, something we don't think about a lot, is recruiting as many people as you can mm. friends family mm. colleagues to help you push right yeah. because going at this alone is is it's very difficult because you know many people are trying to unwind 30 40 50 years of learned behaviors around food and attitudes towards exercise and, and etc and you know we forget you know eating is a learned behavior
0: right, oh, right. exactly so,
2: and, and once we learn a behavior we don't think about it anymore. And that's by again by evolutionary design. I mean think about if you had to think about walking through the woods. So I have to contract my quad, flex my hip, bend my knee, you would have walked right past the ripe right berries and you wouldn't have seen the leopard and you would not have lasted very long. Yeah. Right. So our brains evolve the mechanisms when we learn a task, we automate it. Right? right. Eating is one of those tasks. Yeah. You go to a restaurant, you've learned to like like white bread. You go to the restaurant and it, the environmental trigger you've learned to to perform the task is the waiter puts a basket of bread on the table at that (laughs) moment in time you don't have to think about eating the bread Mm -hmm. what do you have to think about not eating the bread
0: Oh right if you've had a busy
2: day at work you're out with friends or family and you know business what do you and you're not thinking about not eating the bread what happens to the bread eat it right? right And there's nothing you can do about it it's not a lack of willpower it's just the learned behavior that you have and the problem with it is, is I ask you tomorrow what you had for dinner last night. And you tell me about the healthy salmon or the quinoa salad, but what's not on the list? The four or five pieces of bread you had waiting for this salad or the salmon
3: to arrive. get there,
2: yeah. right? And and we perform hundreds, literally. We're, we're confronted with hundreds of these choices. kind of learned environmental yeah. triggers day in and day out. And and it's these choices that we don't think about that get us into trouble, so, you know, driving happens to be another learned behavior. Right. You, know, you you get in the car, you don't think about putting on your blinker. But you're able to carry on a conversation, listen to music, talk on the phone and still get from point A to B yeah. to point B relatively safe, right?
3: Yeah. Because
2: our our subconscious brain is performing all these learned tasks, you know, kind of underneath. So, but what happens if you move to London? You have to learn how to drive on the other side of the street, right? Yeah. And the, for the first Three to four months, <laughs> you have to think about every time you get in that that's car. Right. You got to think about which side of the road I'm on, which side of the crosswalks, are the pedestrians coming through. Right? Yeah. But guess what happens in three months, four months, five months? One day you get in that car
0: and it becomes and guess normal. Yeah. that's
2: exactly. Yeah. So what this is really all about is teaching people how to drive in London, and that's what represents the other side of the mountain. That's the mm-hmm. other side of. When you've gotten the snowball to the top, you've taught yourself how to drive in London, yeah. and you know. But it's difficult, and and so that's the process I went through, and you know, and I it, it was a it was a process. I, I wasn't perfect, but but as I as I thought every time I was confronted with not eating the white bread, thinking about not eating the white bread, not think about not eating the white bread, I changed my habit. So right. my default now is I I don't have to think about. You know, not eating the bread. I have to think about eating it,
0: right? Oh, right, exactly.
2: So it's bad. It's upside down, right? Yes, so exactly. So if I You'd go to a place the... that's known for their kind of uh, homemade bread, and I choose to have a piece of bread, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I'm not eating four or five pieces of right. of bread, kind of, kind of, you know, just mindlessly, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You learn how to drive on the other side of the street in London. People, you know, people don't ask if they ask you, do you miss driving on the other side? Of course not, because that's just the way you drive, right? right. So people ask me, don't you miss ice cream? Don't you miss barbecue, pork? You know, I said, no, because I don't eat that stuff, right? I, yeah. That's not the way I drive anymore. Those are some techniques that I've used, but it, but it is hard. And so, you yeah. know, again, it's not always successful. But if you can get someone to engage and help them find purpose, yep. help them understand what their barriers are, and, mm-hmm. and help them recruit other people to help them push, you can certainly get there.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. One of the things I noticed for me is that I don't miss eating chicken because chicken was what I used to eat a lot of. And when I say a lot, I mean, twice a week. So when I gave it up, it was, I look back on it and it's kind of like, well, okay, I don't need to go there again. And it, right. no. you know, it just started with a conscious choice.
2: Yeah, no, I think, yeah, exactly right. And for me, it was the realization that there was another path. Right. And and, and I mean, that's what I I fundamentally had, I didn't realize it, but I had reached a, no no pun, no pun intended, but a fork in the road in my own personal health, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I knew what lie down the path I was on. Yeah. Because I I saw it every single day in the patients that I treated, that I could, could take these pills and I could maybe increase my exercise for a while and then, mm-hmm. you know, I would get off track and I might, will wait, will yo-yo? But eventually I was going to end up with type 2 diabetes and I was going to end up with a heart attack and I don't know. Right. There's this other path, you know, that I could take, but that path needed to be cleared. I mean, I needed to to clear, get, understand it and and clear the path. And now that I've done that, you know, what it's allowed me to do, and it's really become my mission, is to help other people understand there is this other path and show them the way, if you will, shine the light. Because frankly, you know, if we don't figure this out pretty soon, I would argue that, It's our disconnection from food, both individually and as a society, which is driving many of the, a lot of the health crisis and as well as the environmental crisis that we suffer today. Big time. Uh, We we have no idea how our food is grown, what kind of soil, what kind of stuff we put on it, how it's processed, why we crave it, Mm
3: -hmm. what it does
2: to our bodies, right?
3: Yeah. And
2: and if we don't figure this out pretty soon, I mean, we are literally going to bankrupt the healthcare system because Mm -hmm. it is not sustainable and we are going to bankrupt the the planet from an environmental standpoint because the way we grow food today is not sustainable. And so, you know, I I think this is such an important message and that's why I really appreciate you allowing me to to share this message through your podcast because, you know, people have to understand how vitally important this is and not, not just patients. I mean, the healthcare system itself is, needs to really (laughs) dig deep and think about, you know, how do we, you know, how do we define healthcare versus sick care and how do we reimburse doctors and, and, you know, uh, on and on. And what programs do we, do we allow and on and on. So it's a tough road, but you know, uh, it's become a a really a
0: a passion and a mission for me. Oh, I can tell. I can absolutely tell. And, And it seems this is what drives you.
2: Yeah, no, it's exactly – I mean, you know, it's interesting. So one of my favorite quotes – I read a lot of history books just uh-huh. for fun. and Daniel Patrick Morningham had a great quote, which I use all the time, and it really is fundamentally kind of explains what part of my mission is. And his quote was, we can all have our own opinions, but we can't have our own facts, right? All right. So my job is to keep putting the facts out there over and over and over, hoping that eventually people will come around to the right opinion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So so I mean there that's the go. way I think about this.
0: Yeah. I'm all about education and I have to know, is there one book that has been influential for you in this process?
2: The thing that brought me to this actually wasn't a book. It was it was a documentary called Forks Over, forks and over Eyes, And I eyes. recommend yeah. that all of my patients see that. Yep. And in fact there's there's kind of a sequence of documentaries I, I go through and and to help convince people how important this is. So forks over and eyes for health. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't do it, there's a documentary, Cowspiracy. So it's conspiracy with a W instead of yep. an N, Cow and that's about yep. that's about the environment. And if you're still not there, there's a documentary called Earthlings about our relationship with animals. Forewarning, that's a very difficult documentary to yeah. watch. Yeah, um, it is. As far as books go, though, I, I think Dr. Michael Greger, who runs the site. Uh, nutritionfacts.org which is a not for profit it's a it's a great source for information he he does short evidence-based videos around mainly plant-based nutrition the effects on various aspects of health but he has a great book out called How Not to Die <laughs> and nice. you know How Not to Die the chapters are things like how not to die from heart disease how not to die from right. brain disease how not yeah. to die from you know it is incredibly readable completely evidence-based kind of information around why this is so important and at the end kind of what is it you know how do you incorporate this into your day-to-day life yeah the other book that i like that is uh, recently came out by my friend michaela carlson's called a plant-based life and what i like about that book is the first part of it kind of goes through some of these psychologic behavior change issues that many people face and helps them kind of navigate the mountain if you will and and then at the end and then it, transitions into some more practical advice. And then lastly, Forks Over Knives actually has two books that I really like. They have a cookbook, which is m- most excellent, uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I find it uh, – I'm a fairly accomplished cook. I actually teach plant-based cooking classes, but uh, for, the, for, the, for the person who may not be so well-versed, they have some great recipes, fairly easy to follow, incredibly tasty. Cool. And then they have a, another book. They have a book out called The Forks Over Knives Plan, and it's about it's a four-week kind of a, a program to help transition to a plant-based diet. And the format is the first week is breakfast, so the idea is, is that oh, all you nice. got to worry about is just transitioning your breakfast the yep. first week. And then the second week you had lunch, the third week you had you dinner, and then the fourth week is everything else going out to eat, eating at a friends' house. And you can you know you can make it two weeks or whatever you need. But and then some some great recipes in the back of that book. So that those are that that's kind of the the repertoire of books that I use. There's a couple other websites. So the Plantrition Project, it's mm. Plantrition.org, PlantritionProject.org, is has some other great resources. They have a free downloadable Quick Start Guide, and they also have a whole resource guide, which which with curated content that's non-commercial, with you know, segregated into food blogs and cookbooks, wow. and documentaries, and scientific evidence. Again, it's a not-for-profit, and uh-huh. uh, it's a great source for information.
0: Cool. Cool. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? You know, this disconnection from food mm-hmm.
2: is mm-hmm. fundamentally important. And, and and so my advice is to, to really take some time and educate yourself about food and what <laughs> food is yeah. and, and why we need to eat food. Because I would argue many of that we don't eat, you know, Michael Pollan, the food writer talks about yep. edible food, like substances, which is <laughs> makes up mo- a lot of what we eat. Yeah. And, you know, taking some time to kind of understand that, you know, a com- it's, it's interesting, a common comment I get, well, it's too expensive to yep. eat plant-based, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. We have a food bucket, right? And uh-huh. we- let's just say we put a dollar in it, yep. right? And then we have a health bucket <laughs> and we put $20 in it uh-huh. because we're buying vitamins and supplements and copays for medicine and mm-hmm. doctors' visits and procedures, right? But what if you what if you thought well food really is medicine so I'm going to put those in the same bucket and I'm going to put I'm going to change the amount I spend on food to $5. Well guess what happens to the to the healthcare spending. You know it goes down to maybe $5. So you've cut your spending in half yeah. by investing spending more on the most powerful medicine that's available and that's food. So it's really about just educating yourself and just, this is not rocket science. We try to make healthy living rocket science and it is not, not yeah. uh, this is such a simple idea. It's just not easy. And, and I think that, that, you know, I guess that's the takeaway really is that changing your lifestyle is very simple. The things we need to do, the things we need to eat, you know, it's all very simple. It's just not very easy. Yeah. Um, but understanding that there are three legs to the to the stool, and you know if your emotional health is driving the rest of your poor lifestyle, that has to be addressed if you yeah. want to be well, yeah. right? You know if you're not eating, right, if you're exercising but not eating right, you know you're putting bad gas in your car. Right? Yeah, exactly. If if you're if you're eating right but not exercising, you're not emptying the gas tank. Yeah. So you know, it's it's just the simplicity of the idea. It's just beautiful, really. But it's just not how we think. You know, then there's a lot. Of, again, we could have a whole podcast about the the reasons that is and the environmental influences. You yeah. know, the f- food laws and I mean the uh, agricultural policy, the p- food labeling laws, school right. lunch programs. Kind yeah. of the pol- well, on the policy on on, side. Yeah. What's right? you yeah, on and on? Right. I mean, we really have made this 360 degrees difficult right yeah exactly I mean, the way we train doctors the way that that we reimburse doctors the way we advertise pharmaceuticals on tv the way we fund medical nauseum. research yeah. uh yeah, odd nauseam is yeah. and it is not na- it is nauseating really. yeah, exactly like an apropos yeah, exactly. statement exactly.
0: so so i i have one more for you i know this is uh, i usually make the final piece of advice the last question I, i'd like you to give three Ideas or three steps that people can take to get started and I want to throw in one of them to start so I was I was at recently at a a restaurant here in town and Mm -hmm. as I said earlier, I'm 74 days into mostly being vegan I've eliminated all meat and 98% of uh, dairy out of my life and So I, I was at a restaurant here in Phoenix and the waitress wandered over and I said, can you please point out the vegan options on the menu? And her face lit up and she pointed out like five or six things that I could have dug for them. Right. But she was happy to show me that where they were and they were, I had, I I ate one day and then the next day I went back and I had two of the six that she showed me on the, on the menu and they were extraordinary. Yeah, yeah right. So, right, I, right. you know, I think that restaurants are making a deep dive at making sure that oh i think
2: so too yeah so
0: do you have a couple more
2: i think that you know the the first thing is educate yourself and and so read one of the books i mentioned earlier watch the documentary you'll find that purpose right because so so you you know you, you read how not to die and and you might find purpose within that right right you know so, so the you know the first thing is you got to find that purpose. You get you got to find
3: mm, mm-hmm. the reason to do it. Yeah.
2: And then you need to figure out how to do it, right? So it, it's kind of like well, if you, if you really want to break it down, it's it's kind of the what to do, why to do it, and how to do it. Yeah. Right. So the what to do is 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 is. Go on a plant based diet so that means educate yourself, watch forks over knives, you know read a book. Yeah. The why to do it you know is, is look at the literature, look at the evidence you know read gregor 's book How Not to die, and then the, the how to do it is it is becoming increasingly easy i mean rest, as you mentioned restaurants are are much more there are many more options on the menu. Mm-hmm. Look ahead if you're going to a restaurant, you know, look at the menu online, or, and if there's, you don't see anything obvious, call up. If it's a, a nicer restaurant, call up and say, I have a reservation at 7 o'clock. I need a vegan diet. Can you ask the chef to prepare something? They're more than happy oh, to do that. Oh, my gosh, um, yeah, perfect. If you don't know how to cook healthy food, learn how to cook there's a great online resource called CulinaryRx.com, which is a, a, a short it's like a six 12 week online cooking instruction specifically about cooking plant-based foods oil free things like that mm-hmm. so figure it out you know enlist some friends find someone to do it with you you, you know cook meals together have a yeah. potluck so make it fun make it you know don't make it tedious in a chore make it fun yeah. and and don't forget the other parts because I think what people find, what I found was my energy levels were so much higher during the day. My mm-hmm. productivity at work mm-hmm. went up because I'm not getting these big sugar swings through the day. So at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I need a soda or a nap. So I was able to get out earlier, which gave me more time to exercise. So it's really, it's really about embracing the whole change, right? Because mm-hmm. there is this understanding, this connectedness is is so important, and finding other people, de- developing this kind of social support system yeah. is 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 very important. Join Facebook, There's lots of great Facebook, Facebook groups. groups. Yeah. Explore the the food blogs that are out there. I mean, it's it's, it's on and on. I, I am yeah. I am hopeful. Actually, yeah, yeah. I can t- um, I
0: can tell we, from we, your excitement. Yeah, you know, from so. this you know from this talk. So, well,
2: well f- even in the five years that that I've been yeah much easier.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Jim. It has been a treat getting to chat with you.
2: Uh, my pleasure and as you know as you can probably tell anyone who will let me climb up the mountain and shout yeah. i'm more than willing to go there and I, and I really appreciate the opportunity because this is such an important message that it needs to be heard and, yeah. and i and i really appreciate you allowing me to share it uh, yeah. through your program
0: absolutely it's it's you know in big part is the reason i do what i do so yay for both of us yeah we'll keep up the good work thanks so how can our listeners get a hold of you
2: If you'd like more information, you can go to www.barnardmedical, B-A-R-N-A-R-D.org. And there's links there to some more health information, information about our clinic. If you're here in the D.C. area, you're more than welcome to come see us as a patient. Uh We have classes for patients, but also classes for the community. You can find more information about that, as well as just some nutrition information Mm -hmm. in general around plant-based nutrition. So it's a great resource.
0: Perfect. Perfect, perfect. And you can also find the show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash Jim. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. My favorite plant to grow in my yard is the fruit tree because you plant it once and you get fruit for decades. If you have ever been curious on the best ways to be successful in growing fruit trees, today is your lucky day. Why? Because my team and I have compiled our best interviews and videos in one place to assist you in growing your own toe-tingling peaches and awesome apples right out your front or back door. Plus, as an added bonus, we've included an in-depth guide to successfully growing fruit trees in your yard. To get access to this information, it's free by the way, just go to urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444.